This is the audio lecture for Module 11. Let's jump right in. Chapter 9, Section 1, The Byzantine Empire. In 1203, when the Crusaders arrived at Constantinople, they were amazed by its splendor. Quote, Those who had never seen Constantinople opened wide eyes now, for they could not believe that so rich a city could be in the whole world when they saw her lofty walls and her stately towers wherewith she was encompassed, and these stately palaces and lofty churches, so many in number, as no man might believe who had not seen them, and the length and breadth of this town which was sovereign over all others. End quote. Villa Hardouin a French crusader. Constantinople sat at a crossroads of land and sea routes, and its great wealth came from trade. In addition to encouraging trade, its leaders constructed strong defenses for their city. As the cities of the Western Roman Empire crumbled, Constantinople remained secure and prospered. With its high walls and golden domes, it stood as the proud capital of the Byzantine Empire. Constantine creates a new Rome. We have discussed before that German invaders pounded the Roman Empire in the west. The Roman Emperor Constantine and his successors shifted their base to the eastern Mediterranean. Constantine rebuilt the Greek city of Byzantium, spelled B-Y-Z-A-N-T-I-U-M, and then renamed it after himself, Constantinople. In 330 AD, he made Constantinople the new capital of the empire. From this new Rome, Rhodes fanned out the Balkans to the Middle East, and to North Africa. In time, the Eastern Roman Empire became known as the Byzantine Empire. Constantinople grows. The vital center of the empire was Constantinople. The city was located on the shores of the Bosphorus, spelled B-O-S-P-O-R-U-S, a strait that links the Mediterranean and Black Seas. Constantinople had an excellent harbor and was guarded on three sides by water. Emperors after Constantine built an elaborate system of land and seawalls to bolster its defenses. Equally important, Constantinople commanded key trade routes linking Europe and Asia. For centuries, the city's favorable location made it Europe's busiest marketplace. There, merchants sold silks from China, wheat from Egypt, gems from India, spices from Southeast Asia, and furs from Viking lands in the north. At the center of the city, Byzantine emperors and empresses lived in glittering splendor. Dressed in luxurious silk, they attended chariot races at the Hippodrome Arena, spelled H-I-P-P-O-D-R-O-M-E. Crowds cheered wildly as rival charioteers careened around and around in their vehicles. The spectacle was another reminder of the city's glorious Roman heritage. After rising to spectacular heights, the Byzantine Empire eventually declined to a small area around Constantinople itself. Yet it was still in existence nearly a thousand years after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. As the heir to Rome, it promoted a brilliant civilization that blended ancient Greek, Roman, and Christian influences with other traditions of the Mediterranean world. Byzantium flourishes under Justinian. The Byzantine Empire reached its peak under the Emperor Justinian, who ruled from 527 to 565 AD. Justinian was determined to revive ancient Rome by recovering lands that had been overrun by invaders. Led by brilliant general Belisarius, spelled B-E-L-I-S-A-R-I-U-S, Byzantine armies reconquered North Africa, Italy, and the southern Iberian Peninsula. However, the fighting exhausted Justinian's treasury and weakened his defenses in the east. 
Moreover, the victories were only temporary. Justinian's successors would lose the bitterly contested lands one after the other. The great city is rebuilt. Justinian left a more lasting monument in the structures of his capital. In 532 AD, riots and a devastating fire swept Constantinople. Many buildings were destroyed and many lives were lost. To restore Roman glory, Justinian launched a program to make Constantinople grander than ever. His greatest triumph was rebuilding the Church of Hagia Sophia, spelled H-A-G-I-A-S-O-P-H-I-A, which means holy wisdom. Its immense arching dome approved on earlier Roman buildings. The interior glowed with colored marble and embroidered silk curtains. Seeing this church, the emperor recalled King Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. Quote, Glory to God, who has judged me worthy of accomplishing such a work as this, Justinian exclaimed. O Solomon, I have surpassed you. End quote. Justinian's code has far-reaching effects. Even more important than expanding the empire and rebuilding its capital was Justinian's reform of the law. Early in his reign, he set up a commission to collect, revise, and organize all the laws of ancient Rome. The result was the Corpus Juris Civilis, C-O-R-P-U-S-J-U-R-I-S-C-I-V-I-L-I-S, or Body of Civil Law, popularly known as Justinian's Code. This massive collection included laws passed by Roman assemblies or decreed by Roman emperors, as well as the legal writings of Roman judges and handbooks for students. Justinian's Code had an impact far beyond the Byzantine Empire. By the 1100s, it had reached Western Europe. There, monarchs modeled their laws on its principles, which helped them to strengthen and centralize their power. Centuries later, the code also guided legal thinkers who began to put together the international law in use today. Justinian rules with absolute power. Justinian used the law to unify the empire under his law. He ruled as an autocrat, or sole ruler with complete authority, spelled A-U-T-O-C-R-A-T. The Byzantine Emperor emperor also had power over the church. He was deemed Christ's co-ruler on earth. As a Byzantine official wrote, quote, The emperor is equal to all men in the nature of his body, but in the authority of his rank he is similar to God, who rules all, end quote. Unlike feudal monarchs in Western Europe, he combined both political power and spiritual authority. His control was aided by his wife, Theodora, spelled T-H-E-O-D-O-R-A. A shrewd politician, she served as an advisor and co-ruler to Justinian and even pursued her own policies. Economic and military strength is second to none. The Byzantine Empire flourished under a strong central government, which exercised strict control over a prosperous economy. Peasants formed the backbone of the empire, working the land, paying taxes, and providing soldiers for the military. In the cities of the empire, trade and industry flourished. While the economy of Western Europe struggled and use of money declined, the Byzantine Empire preserved a healthy money economy. The Byzant, spelled B-E-Z-A-N-T, the Byzantine gold coin, stamped with the emperor's image, circulated from England to China. At the same time, the Byzantines built one of the strongest military forces in the world. Soldiers, ships, and sailors protected the empire, and fortifications protected its capital. The Byzantines also relied on a secret weapon called Greek fire, a liquid that probably contained petroleum. Thrown toward an enemy, it would ignite on contact, and its fire could not be put out with water. For centuries, Greek fire was an effective and terrifying weapon of the Byzantine navy. The empire's fortunes change. In the centuries after Justinian, the empire faced successive attacks by Persians, Slavs, Vikings, Huns, and Turks. These attacks were largely unsuccessful. The empire thus served as a buffer for Western Europe, especially in preventing the spread of Muslim conquest. 
Beginning in the 600s and 700s, however, Arab armies gradually gained control of much of the Mediterranean world. Still, Constantinople itself withstood their attack, and the Byzantines held on to their heartland in the Balkans and Asia Minor. Byzantine Christianity Christianity was an influential in the Byzantine Empire as it was in Western Europe, but the way Christianity was practiced differed in two regions. Over time, these differences became more distinct and caused increasing friction. The East and West differ. Since early Christian times, differences had emerged over church leadership. Although the Byzantine Empire emperor was not a priest, he controlled church affairs and appointed the patriarch, spelled P-A-T-R-I-A-R-C-H, or highest church official, in Constantinople. Byzantine Christians rejected the pope's claim to authority over all Christians. Unlike priests in Western Europe, the Byzantine clergy kept their right to marry. Greek, not Latin, was the language of the Byzantine church. As the Roman church, the chief Byzantine holy day was Easter, celebrated the day Jesus rose from the dead. However, Byzantine Christians placed somewhat less emphasis on Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Jesus, compared to the Christians in the West. During the Middle Ages, the two branches of Christianity drew farther apart. A dispute over the use of icons or holy images contributed to the split. Many Byzantine Christians used images of Jesus, Mary, and the saints in their worship. In the 700s, however, a Byzantine emperor outlawed the veneration of icons, saying it violated God's commandment against worshipping graven images. The band set off violent battles within the empire. From the west, the pope joined in the dispute by condemning the Byzantine emperor. Although a later empress eventually restored the use of icons, the conflict left great resentment against the pope and the Byzantine empire. In 1054, other controversies provoked a schism spelled S-C-H-I-S-M, or split between the eastern and western Christianity, known as the Great Schism. The Byzantine Church became known as the Eastern or Greek Orthodox Church. The Western branch became known as the Roman Catholic Church. The Pope and the Patriarch excommunicated each other. Thereafter, contacts between the two churches were guarded and distant. They treated each other as rivals rather than as branches of the same faith. The Empire suffers crisis and collapse. By the time of the schism, the Byzantine Empire was in decline. Struggles over secession, court intrigues, and constant wars undermined its strength. As in Western Europe, powerful local lords gained control of large areas. As the empire faltered, its enemies advanced. The Normans conquered southern Italy. Even more serious, the Seljuk Turks, spelled S-E-L-G-J-U-K-T-U-R-K-S, advanced across Asia Minor. The Seljuks had been a nomadic people in Central Asia. They converted to Islam in their migrations westward. In the 1090s, the Byzantine emperor called for the West to help fight the Seljuks, who attacked, blocked the pilgrimages' routes to Jerusalem. The result was the First Crusade. During later crusades, however, trade rivalry sparked violence between the Byzantine Empire and Venice, a city-state in northern Italy. In 1204, Venetian merchants persuaded knights on the Fourth Crusade to attack Constantinople. For three days, crusaders burned and plundered the city, sending much treasure westward. Western Christians called Constantinople, ruled Constantinople for 57 years. Although a Byzantine emperor reclaimed the capital in 1260, the empire never recovered. Venetian merchants had gained control of Byzantine trade, draining the wealth of the empire. But there was an even more threatening foe, an increasingly powerful Ottoman Turks, who had soon controlled most of Asia Minor and the Balkans. Constantinople falls to the Turks. 
1453, Ottoman forces surrounded the city of Constantinople. They brought cannons to attack the city walls. The Byzantine defenders had stretched a huge chain across the harbor to protect against invasion by sea, but the Turks hauled their ships overland and then launched them into the harbor. After a siege lasting two months, the Turks stormed Constantinople's broken walls. It is said that when the Byzantine emperor was offered safe passage, he replied, quote, God forbid that I should live an emperor, em emperor without an empire, end quote. He chose instead to die fighting. Forces led by Ottoman ruler Mehmet II, spelled M-E-H-M-E-T, the second, entered the city in triumph. The ancient city was renamed Istanbul, spelled I-S-T-A-N-B-U-L, and became, became the capital of the Ottoman Empire. Hagia Sophia was turned into the Islamic house of worship, and Istanbul soon emerged as a great center of Muslim culture. The Byzantine Heritage Although Byzantine power had faded long before, the fall of Constantinople marked the end of an age. To Europeans, the empire had stood for centuries as the enduring symbol of Roman civilization. Throughout the Middle Ages, Byzantine influence radiated across Europe. Even the Ottoman conquerors adapted features of the Byzantine government, social life, and architecture. What was the Byzantine heritage? For a thousand years, the Byzantines built on the culture of the Hellenistic world. Byzantine civilization blended Christian religious beliefs with Greek science, philosophy, arts, and literature. The Byzantines also extended Roman achievements in engineering and law. Unique contributions in the arts. Byzantine artists made the unique contributions, especially in religious art and architecture, that influenced Western styles from the Middle Ages to the present. Icons, designed to evoke the presence of God, gave viewers a sense of personal contact with the sacred. Mosaics brought scenes from the Bible to life. In architecture, Byzantine palaces and churches blended Greek, Roman, Persian, and other Middle Eastern styles. The World of Learning Byzantine scholars preserved the classic works of ancient Greece and Rome. In addition, they produced their own great books, especially in the field of history. Like the Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides, spelled H-E-R-O-D-O-T-U-S and T-H-U-C-Y-D-I-D-E-S respect respectively, Byzantine historians were mostly concerned with writing about their own times. Procopius, spelled P-R-O-C-O-P-I-U-S, an advisor to the general Belisarius, chronicled the Byzantine campaign against Persia. In his Secret History, Procopius savagely criticized Justinian and Theodora. He called the emperor both an evildoer and easily led into evil, never of his own accord speaking the truth, end quote. Anna Comnena, spelled A-N-N-A-C-O-M-N-E-N-A, is considered by many scholars to be the world's what the Western world's first important female historian. In her Alex Alexiad, spelled A-L-E-X-I-A-D, she analyzed the reign of her father, Emperor Alexius I. Comemna's book portrayed Latin crusaders as greedy barbarians. As the empire tottered in the 1400s, many Greek scholars left Constantinople to teach at Italian universities. They took valuable Greek manuscripts to the West, along with their knowledge of Greek and Byzantine culture. The work of these scholars contributed to the European cultural flowering that became known as the Renaissance. Chapter 10, Section 1, The Rise of Islam The religion of Islam, whose followers are called Muslims, emerged in the Arabian Peninsula. 
This region of southwestern Asia is mostly desert, yet it was home to many Arab tribes in the AD 500s. Nomadic herders called Bedouins, spelled B-E-D-O-U-I-N-S, moved through the desert to reach seasonal pasture lands for their camels, goats, and sheep. Competition for water and grazing land often led to warfare. Bedouins also traded with, and with settled Arab tribes in oasis towns and protected the caravan trading routes. Muhammad becomes a prophet. Muhammad was born in the oasis town of Mecca, spelled M-E-C-C-A, around A.D. 570. Mecca was a bustling market town at the crossroads of several caravan routes. It was also a thriving pilgrimage center. Many Arabs came to pray at the Kaaba, an ancient temple that housed statues of pagan gods and goddesses. The pilgrims helped make Mecca's merchants wealthy. All weapons had to be laid down near the temple, making Mecca a safe and peaceful place to do business. Arabia's deserts and trade centers shaped Muhammad's early life. In his youth, he worked as a shepherd among the Bedouins. Later, he led caravans across the desert and became a successful merchant. When he was about 25, Muhammad married Khadija, spelled K-H-A-D-I-J-A, a wealthy widow who ran a prosperous caravan business. Muhammad became known for his honesty in business and was a devoted husband and father. Muhammad becomes God's messenger. Muhammad was troubled by the moral ills of Meccan society, especially greed. He often went to a cave in the hills near Mecca to meditate. According to Muslim belief, when he was about 40 years old, he heard the voice of the angel Gabriel calling him to be the messenger of God. Muhammad was terrified and puzzled. How could he, an illiterate merchant, become the messenger of God? Khadija encouraged him to accept the call. She became the first convert to the faith called Islam, from the Arabic word that means to submit to God. Muhammad devoted his life to spreading Islam. He urged Arabs to give up their worship of pagan gods and submit to the one true God. In Arabic, the word for God is Allah, spelled A-L-L-A-H. The Hijra, a turning point. At first, few people listened to Muhammad's teachings. His rejection of traditional Arab gods angered Mecca's merchants, who feared that neglect of their idols would disrupt the pilgrim trade. In 622 AD, faced with the threat of murder, Muhammad and his followers left Mecca for Yathrib, spelled Y-A-T-H-R-I-B, a journey known as the Hijra. Later, Yathrib was named Medina, spelled M-E-D-I-N-A, or City of the Prophet, and 622 AD became the first year of the Muslim calendar. The Hijra was a turning point for Islam. In Medina, Muslim converts welcomed Muhammad and agreed to follow his teachings. They became a community of Muslims, or Ummah, spelled U-M-M-A. Loyalty to the Ummah was based on Islam instead of old family rivalries. Muhammad created rules that governed and united Muslims and brought peace among the clans of Medina. As his reputation grew, thousands of Arabs adopted Islam. Meanwhile, Meccan leaders grew more hostile toward the Muslims. After Muslim attacks several caravans, the Meccans prepared for war. After fighting battles with the Meccans, Muhammad triumphantly returned to Mecca in 630 AD. He destroyed the idols in the Kaaba, spelled K-A-A-B-A, the temple that he believed Abraham had built to worship the one true God. He rededicated the Kaaba to Allah, and it became the most holy place in Islam. For the next two years, Muhammad worked to unite the Arabs under Islam. Muhammad died in 632 AD, but the faith that he proclaimed continued to spread. Today, Islam is one of the world's major religions.
teachings of Islam. Like Judaism and Christianity, Islam is monotheistic, based on a belief in one God. The Quran, spelled Q-U-R-A-N, the sacred text of Islam, teaches that the God is all-powerful and compassionate. It also states that people are responsible for their own actions. Islam does not require priests to meditate between people and God. Muslims believe that God had sent other prophets, included Abraham, Moses, and even Jesus, but that Muhammad was the last and greatest prophet. Muslims study the Quran. To Muslims, the Quran contains the sacred word of God as revealed to Muhammad. It is the final authority on all matters discussed in the text. The Quran teaches about God's will and provides a guide to life. Its ethical standards emphasize honesty, generosity, and social justice. It sets, it sets harsh penalties for crimes, such as stealing or murder. According to the Quran, each individual will stand before the God on the final judgment day to face either eternal punishment in hell or eternal bliss in paradise. Muslims believe that the Quran is the direct, unchangeable word of God. Because the meaning and poetic beauty of the Quran reside in its original language, all Muslims, including converts to Islam, learn Arabic. This la shared language has helped unite Muslims from many regions throughout the world. Muslims follow duties. All observant Muslims perform five basic duties, known as the five pillars of Islam. The first is to make a declaration of faith. The second is to pray five times daily. After a ritual washing, Muslims face the holy sikka of Me Me Mecca, the city of Mecca, to pray. Although Muslims may pray anywhere, they often gather in houses of worship called masjids, spelled M-A-S-G-I-D-S, or mosques, spelled M-O-S-Q-U-E-S. A mosque official called a muezzin, uh, spelled M-U-E-Z-Z-I-N, calls the faithful to prayer. The third pillar is to give charity to the poor. The fourth is to fast from sunrise to sunset during the holy month of Ramadan, spelled R-A-M-A-D-A-N, the month in which Muslims believed Muhammad received his first revelations from God. The fifth pillar is to make the Hajj, spelled H-A-J-J, or pilgrimage to Mecca, if a person is able. Pilgrims participate in ceremonies commemorating the actions of Muhammad, Abraham, and Abraham's family. Their simple attire symbolizes the abandonment of the material world for the sake of God. Another duty is jihad, spelled J-I-H-A-D, or struggle in God's service. Jihad is usually a personal duty for Muslims who focus on overcoming immorality within themselves. At other times, jihad may be interpreted as a holy war to defend Islam and the Muslim community, much like the Crusades to defend Christianity. However, just holy war may be declared only by the community, not by an individual Muslim or small group. People of the Book Muslims, Jews, and Christians worship the same God. The Quran teaches that Islam is God's final and complete revelation, while Hebrew scriptures and the Christian Bible contain portions of earlier revelations. Muslims consider Jews and Christians to be the people of the Book spiritually superior to polytheistic idol worshippers. Although the people of the book did not have the same rights as Muslims, they often enjoyed religious freedom in many Muslim societies. Islam, a way of life. Islam is both a religion and a way of life. Its teachings shape the lives of Muslims around the world. Islamic law governs daily life, and Muslim traditions determine ethical behavior and influence family relations. 
Sharia, Islamic system of law. Over time, Muslim scholars developed the Sharia, spelled S-H-A-R-I-A, or a body of law that includes interpretation of the Quran, examples of behavior from Muhammad's life, and Muslim traditions. Similar to Jewish law, the Sharia regulates moral conduct, family life, business practices, government, and other aspects of individual and community life. It does not separate religion from criminal or civil law, but applies religious principles to all legal situations. Just as the Quran unifies Muslim beliefs, the Sharia unites Muslims under a common legal framework. Impact of Islam on Women Before Islam, the position of women in Arab society varied. In some communities, women were active in religion, trade, or politics. As in most societies at the time, however, most women had limited rights. Arab women could not inherit property and had to obey a male guardian. Among a few tribes, unwanted daughters were sometimes killed at birth. Islam extended rights and protection to women by affirming the spiritual equality of all Muslims. The Quran teaches that, quote, whoever does right, whether male or female, and is a believer, all such will enter the garden, end of quote. The Quran prohibited the killing of daughters, granted women an inheritance, and allowed women to reject the marriage offer. Islam also encouraged education for men and women so that all Muslims could study the Quran. Although spiritually equal under Islam, men and women had different roles and rights. For example, women inherited less than men and had more difficult time getting a divorce. As Islam spread, Muslims adopted practices of conquered peoples. For example, the practices of veiling upper-class women and secluding them in a separate part of the home were Persian customs. The Quran says that women should dress modestly, which had been interpreted in multiple ways. Still, women's lives varied according to region and class. In rural areas, peasant women often needed to work and did not wear a veil, but took care to dress modestly. Chapter 10, Section 2, Building a Muslim Empire the death of Muhammad plunged his followers into grief. Muhammad had been a pious man and a powerful leader. No one else had ever been able to unify so many Arab tribes. Could the community of Muslims survive without him? Early Challenges to Islam Muslims faced a problem when Muhammad died because he had not named a successor to lead the community. Eventually, they agreed that Abu Bakr, spelled A-B-U-B-A-K-R, Muhammad's father-in-law and an early convert to Islam should be the first caliph, C-A-L-I-P-H, or successor to Muhammad. Abu Bakr sternly told the faithful, quote, If you worship Muhammad, Muhammad is dead. If you worship God, God is alive. End quote. Arabs unite under Islam. Uh, Abu Bakr faced an immediate crisis. The loyalty of some Arab tribal leaders had been dependent on Muhammad's personal command. They refused to follow Abu Bakr and withdrew their loyalty to Islam. After several battles with the wavering tribes, Abu succeeded in reuniting the Muslims, based on their allegiance to Islam. Once reunited, the Muslims set out on a remarkable series of military campaigns. They began by converting the remaining Arab tribes to Islam, which ended warfare between Arabs and united them under one leader. Early Victories Under the first four caliphs, the Arab Muslims marched from victory to victory against two great empires on their borders. The Byzantines and Persians had competed with each other over control of lands in the Middle East. Once the Arabs united, they surprised their neighbors, conquering great portions of the Byzantine Empire, and defeated the Persians entirely. First, they took the provinces of Syria and Palestine from the Byzantines. 
including the cities of Damascus, spelled D-A-M-A-S-C-U-S, and Jerusalem, spelled J-E-R-U-S-A-L-E-M. Then they captured the weakened Persian Empire and swept into Byzantine Egypt. Divisions emerged within Islam. When Muhammad died, Muslims disagreed about who should be chosen to be the leader of the community. They split between Sunni, spelled S-U-N-N-I, and Shiite, spelled S-H-I-I-T-E. Muslims had a profound impact on later Islamic history. Sunnis and Shiites. One group of Muslims felt that Muhammad had designated his son-in-law, Ali, A-L-I, to be his successor. They were called Shiites, after Shiite Ali, or followers of Ali. Shiites believe that the true successors to Muhammad are the descendants of Ali and Muhammad's daughter, Fatima, spelled F-A-T-I-M-A. They believe that these descendants, called Imams, spelled I-M-A-M-S, are divinely inspired religious leaders who are empowered to interpret the Quran and the actions of Muhammad. Another group felt that any good Muslim could lead the community since there could be no prophet after Muhammad. This group soon divided and fought among themselves as well as the others over issues of who could be defined as quote, good Muslim. The majority of Muslims eventually compromised around the view that the successor to Muhammad should be a pious male Muslim from Muhammad's tribe. This successor is called a caliph and is viewed as a political leader of the religious community without any divine or prophetic functions. The compromise group, which forms the majority of Muslims in the world today, are known as Sunnis, since they follow the custom of the community or Sunnah, spelled S-U-N-N-A. The Sunni believed that the inspiration comes from the example of Muhammad as recorded by the earlier followers. Like the schism between Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Christians, the division between Sunni and Shiite Muslims has survived to the present day. Members of both branches of Islam believed in the same God, looked to the Quran for guidance, and followed the pillars of Islam. However, Sunnis and Shiites differ in such areas as religious practice, law, and daily life. Today, about 90% of Muslims are Sunni. Most Shiites live in Iran, Lebanon, Iraq, and Yemen. The Shiite branch itself has further split into several different subgroups. Over the centuries, the divisions between Sunnis and Shiites was sometimes a source of conflict. When Sunni rulers held power, they often favored other Sunnis and deprived Shiites of wealth and power. When Shiites gained power, Sunnis often stood to lose. This sometimes bitter rivalry remained a source of tension in the Middle East today. Sufis. In both the Sunni and Shiite branches of Islam, a group called the Sufis emerged. Sufis are Muslim mystics, spelled M-I-M-Y-S-T-I-C-S, who saw communion with God through meditation, fasting, and other rituals. Sufis were respected for their piety, and some were believed to have miraculous powers. Like Christian monks and nuns, some Sufis helped spread Islam by traveling, preaching, and being good examples to others. They carried the faith to remote villages, where they blended local traditions and beliefs in Muslim culture. Umayyad Caliphs Build an Empire After the death of Ali, a powerful Meccan clan set up the Umayyad, spelled U-M-A-Y-Y-A-D, Caliphate, a dynasty of Sunni caliphs that ruled the Muslim Empire until 750 AD. 
From their capital at Damascus in Syria, they directed the spectacular conquests that extended Arab rule from Spain to Morocco in the west to the Indus River Valley in the east. This conquest enabled the spread of Islam and Muslim civilization. Expanding the Muslim Empire From Egypt, Arab Muslim armies moved west, defeating Byzantine forces across North Africa. In 711 AD, Muslim forces crossed the Strait of Gibraltar, spelled G-I-B-R-A-L-T-A-R, and conquered Spain. In 731 AD, a Muslim army moved north into France to settle new areas. There, Frankish forces defeated the Muslim at the Battle of Tours. Muslims ruled parts of Spain for centuries, but advanced no farther into Europe. Elsewhere, Muslim forces besieged the Byzantine capital of Constantinople, but failed to take the well-defended city. Reasons for Muslim success Several factors can explain the series of Muslim victories. One factor was the weakness of the Byzantine and Persian empires. The long-time rivals had fought each other to exhaustion. Many people also welcomed the Arabs as liberators from harsh Byzantine or Persian rule. Another factor was the Arabs' bold, efficient fighting methods. The Bedouin camel and horse cavalry mounted aggressive and mobile offenses that overwhelmed more traditional armies. Under the first four caliphs, Muslims knitted a patchwork of competing tribes into a unified state. Belief in Islam and the desire to glorify the new religion spurred the Muslim armies to victory. As the empire expanded, the rulers created an orderly system of administration. Treatment of conquered people. The advancing Arabs brought many people under their rule. These Arabs imposed certain restrictions and a special tax on non-Muslims, but allowed Christians, Jews, and Zoroastrians, spelled Z-O-R-O-A-S-T-R-I-A-N-S, to practice their own faiths and follow their own religious customs within those restrictions. Early Umayyads did not attempt to convert these people of the book because the tax supported the Arab troops who settled in conquered areas. As Muslim civilization developed, many Jews and Christians played key roles as officials, doctors, and translators. Muslim leaders wisely prohibited looting and destruction of conquered lands, ensuring continued wealth and prosperity for the empire in the form of tribute and taxes. However, the rulers also urged Arab settlers to stay separate from the native populations, which created an Arab upper class throughout the empire. In time, many non-Muslims converted to Islam. Some converted to gain political or economic advantages. However, many were drawn to Islam's simple and direct message, and they saw its triumph as a sign of God's favor. Many of the nomadic peoples in North Africa and Central Asia chose Islam immediately. Unlike some religions, Islam had no religious hierarchy or class of priests. In principle, it emphasized the equality of all believers, regardless of race, gender, class, or wealth. In later centuries, Turkish and Mongol converts helped spread Islam far across Asia. Decline of the Umayyad Caliphate As military victories and negotiation expanded the Muslim Empire, the Umayyads faced numerous problems. First, Arabs had to adapt from the living in the desert to ruling large cities and huge territories. In many ways, the caliphs ruled like powerful tribal leaders, rather than kings with large bureaucracies. To govern their empire, the Umayyads finally relied on local officials. Although they helped govern the empire, non-Arabs often did not have the same privileges that Arabs had, even if they converted to Islam. While conquests continued, vast wealth flowed into Umayyad hands. When conquests slowed in the 700 AD, 
economic tensions increased between wealthy Arabs and those who had less. In addition, more and more resources were used to support the caliph's luxurious lifestyle. By the 8th century, many Muslims criticized the court at Damascus for abandoning the simple ways of the early caliphs. Shiites considered the Umayyad caliphs to be illegitimate rulers of the Islamic community. Unrest also grew among non-Arab converts to Islam, who had fewer rights than Arabs. Rise of the Ubasids Discontented Muslims founded a leader in Abu al-Abbas, spelled A-B-U, next word, A-L-A-B-B-A-S, descendant from the Muhammad's uncle. With strong support from Shiite and non-Arab Muslims, he captured Damascus in 750 AD. Soon after, he had members of the defeated Umayyad family killed. Only one survived, escaping to Spain. Abu al-Abbas then founded the Ubasid dynasty, spelled A-B-B-A-S-I-D, which lasted until 1258 AD. Changes under the Ubasid The Ubasid dynasty tried to create an empire based on the equality of all Muslims. The new rulers halted the large military conquests, ending the dominance of the Arab military class. Under the early Ubasids, the empire of the caliphs reached its greatest wealth and power, and Muslim civilization flourished. Under the Abbasids, Islam became a more diverse religion because discrimination against non-Arab Muslims ended. Official policy encouraged conversion to Islam and treated all Muslims equally. The Ubasids created a more sophisticated bureaucracy and encouraged learning. The Ubasids also moved to the capital from Damascus to Baghdad, a small market town on the banks of the Tigris River, spelled B-A-G-H-D-A-D. This move into Persian territory allowed Persian officials to hold important offices in the caliph's government. It also allowed Persian traditions to influence the develop of the caliphate. Although these traditions strongly influenced Arab culture, Islam remained the religion of the empire and in Arabic its language. The most important official was known as the vizier, or the head of bureaucracy, a position that had existed in Persian government. Splendors of Baghdad The second Ubasid caliph, Al-Manasur, spelled A-L-M-A-N-S-U-R, chose Baghdad as the site of his new capital. The walls formed a circle with the caliph's palace in the center. Poets, scholars, philosophers, and entertainers from all over the Muslim world flocked to the Abbasid court. Under the Abbasids, the Baghdad exceeded Constantinople in size and wealth. Visitors no doubt felt that Baghdad deserved its title, City of Peace, gift of God, paradise on earth. The city was beautiful with many markets, gardens and palaces and mosques. Domes and minarets, spelled M-I-N-A-R-E-T-S, slender towers of the mosques, loomed overhead. Five times each day, muzazins climbed to the tops of the minarets and called the faithful to prayer. Merchants sold goods from Africa, Asia, and Europe. The palace of the caliph bustled with activity. Muslim culture in Spain. The surviving member of the Umayyad family had fled to Spain and established an independent Muslim state. There, Muslim rulers presided over brilliant courts where the arts and learning thrived. In general, they, they were more tolerant of other religions than were Christian rulers of the time. At centers of learning, such as the city of Cordoba, spelled C-O-R-D-O-B-A, rulers employed Jewish officials and welcomed Christian scholars to study science and philosophy. Architects build grand buildings, such as the Alhambra, spelled A-L-H-A-M-B-R-A, 
a fortified palace in Granada, Spain, spelled G-R-A-N-A-D-A. Its lovely gardens reflected pools and finely decorated marble columns marked as high point of Muslim civilization in Spain. Muslim rule endured in parts of Spain until 1492. The Muslim Empire declines. The Ubasid never ruled Spain, and starting about 850 AD, their control over the rest of the Muslim Empire fragmented. In Egypt and elsewhere, independent dynasties ruled states that had been part of a unified empire. As the caliph's power faded in some regions, Shiite rulers came to power. Between 900 and 1400 AD, a series of invasions added to the chaos. Seljuk Turks take control. In the 900 AD, Seljuk, spelled S-E-L-J-U-K, Turks migrated into the Middle East from Central Asia. They adopted Islam and built a large empire across the Fertile Crescent. By 1055, a Seljuk sultan, or ruler, controlled Baghdad, but he kept the Abbasid Caliph as a figurehead. As the Seljuks pushed into Asia Minor, they threatened the Byzantine Empire. The conflict prevented Christian pilgrims from traveling to Jerusalem, leading Pope Urban II to call for the First Crusade in 1095 AD. Mongols sweep across Central Asia. In 1216, Genghis Khan, spelled G-E-N-G-H-I-S-K-H-A-N, led the Mongols out of Central Asia across Southwest Asia. Mongol armies returned again and again. In 1258 AD, Hulagu, spelled H-U-L-A-G-U, the grandson of Genghis, burned and looted Baghdad, killing the last Abbasid Caliph. Later, the Mongols adopted Islam as they mingled with local inhabitants. In the late 1300s, another Mongol leader, Timur the Lame, spelled T-I-M-U-R, or Tamerlane, spelled T-A-M-E-R-L-A-N-E, led his armies into the Middle East. Though he was a Muslim, Tamerlane's ambitions led him to conquer Muslim as well as non-Muslim lands. His armies overran Southwest Asia before invading Russia and India.